Um, you can go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2. And last week, you know, we were talking about the qualities of a, of a good uh, preacher, a person of God. I think, you know, we were talking about preachers, but that goes for um, females as well, not the females preaching, but, you know, as women disciple women. And, um, you know, I, I think if you if you look at a a church like ours, people that I've talked to that have visited our church are um, many times the comments that I hear from them is I can't believe that the diversity of age that you have in the church, you know, from older to younger. And, and, uh, the, and, I, and I'll say, well, why does that strike you? And, and, and oftentimes what I hear is because you know the Bible talks about older women, older women discipling younger women, and older men discipling younger men. And a lot of churches don't have that, you know. And, I, and people have noticed about our church that that's a blessing that we have. So again, based on last week's lesson, you know, of Paul's love for the church, that I think that's what we're seeing come out of of our church at the place where we are right now is that. You know, why would the older women be discipling younger women? And, and because they uh, have a love for the church itself. And, and so I, I think that's a great thing to be known by as a church, right? Uh, matter of fact, I was talking to a, another guy a couple of weeks ago about a guy that was uh, planting a church and there were no young people, you know. And so he was kind of saying like, well, you know, that just, and because of the demographic of the area where he was planting the church, there are no young people. Hence, you can kind of tell where I'm talking about in one of these communities that's all old people, right? You know, and that's not a picture of the church, right? I mean, that you're stripping ministry away. So God, you know, brings people into churches, um, I think, because, you know, why would somebody, why would God bring somebody to our church? And I believe because if he has gifted each of us with a spiritual gift, then there's a reason for that, and that is for us to use that spiritual gift in ministering to others. And so it, I'm thrilled when I look, you know, at my age and my position in the church when I see, you know, the younger people and, and even, you know, 20-year-olds discipling 15-year-olds, you know, or even 15-year-olds discipling younger children. You know, that's the picture. That's the love. That's what Paul was conveying in those uh, first five verses in um, Colossians chapter 2. But as we move forward, he's starting to move into uh, really strongly warning them about apostasy. And, and that apost- apostasy can come to those... This is weird, but it's absolutely 100% true. Apostasy can come to those who appear to be the best Christians that, that you've ever seen, Right? And, and I'm sure you've heard as well as I have about preachers who, who have fallen away. You know, they've been lured by what they might consider some deeper things in the spiritual life. And I remember Shane telling me there, of this. I can't remember the name of it, so I'm not even going to try. But there's this society of high, heady guys you know, I'm talking about the big wigs, you know, the guys that when I open their books and try and read them, it may as well be written in Russian. You know, I don't get it. You know, not that they have to write to my level, but you know what I mean? Just the real heady guys. 
And it's like these guys, and, and we need those people in the church, but they need to stick to the basics as well. And they somehow they've been lured and drawn away by all of that. And, and um, this is where these guys, as I've kind of picked Shane's brain on it, um, uh, he said, this is where these guys have these new ideas, you know, and they, they write about it for a couple of years, and then they come and they present this theory at these conventions or conferences. Do you know the name of the thing I'm talking about? Is it, it's not, yes. that's what I thought it was, but I thought that's like Expositor's Theological Seminary, so I didn't want to say it because that's not what it is. But it is ETS, Evangelical Theological Society. And, and I'm telling you, some whacked, whacked, whacked out idea. Where in the world do you come up with that? Stuff comes out of those. You know, Shane will come back and he'll tell me, yeah, this guy, I thought he was on spot. And boy, he presented this. You know, so Shane can go and it makes sense to him. I could go and, I mean, it'd just be a waste of time. And I'd probably get mad, you know, and say, well, what are you talking about? But, you know, that that happens to people. You know, it's like they're going to gain some kind of spiritual superior knowledge, right? And, and they've, they've fathered just really weird doctrines and, and many false doctrines that actually end up springing into what you and I would call a cult. And um, I can't remember what the latest one was. The one a couple of years ago was this new perspective on Paul. I don't know if you all have ever heard of that. I don't even know. That's just the name of it. And Shane's tried to explain it to me and it just didn't I said you know I don't need a new perspective I've I got the perspective the Bible has on Paul and that's all I need you know but um, anyway just that was happening back here in the church of Colossae and in uh, Laodicea and and it's happening still today right and Paul was aware you know that this was these Gnostics were the ones that were doing it here you know that they were they were offering a deeper knowledge to the Colossians. And, and P- Paul knew their tactics, you know, that you, they would advertise, you know, you're going you're gonna to be- become wiser. You know, you need to get away from that baby faith and be more mature. And, um, you know, you need, to get, you need to graduate from kindergarten faith and be, become more aware of what's really going on, the real thing, Right. So let's look at verses 6 and 7. Um, this is Paul taking um, an offense with that teaching. This is kind of the start that's going to roll out for quite a few verses. So Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here Paul is kind of giving a protective charge to the Colossians. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's talking about this walk, right? The, the, the walk that is going to protect us from this kind of teaching. So when, and he, he says, you know, that we're to, as, as you receive Jesus, right? That's going back to your salvation, right? as you received Jesus. In other words, when we were born again, we received Jesus the Lord. And it, rem- it means more than accepting him. You know, I, I get sometimes in talking with people, I, I, personally, I don't like those words, you know, accepting Christ. 
you know, I don't like the words, um, you know, I asked Jesus to come. I'm not going to split hairs with people. You know, that's fine, but this is Sunday school and I'm the teacher, so I get to talk about it. <laughs> you know, but if I'm, if I'm witnessing to somebody or counseling with somebody, I'm not going to split hairs with them over those, that, those words. But, you know, my question back in my mind is, just because I asked Jesus to come into my heart, a lot of people I talk to that use that terminology, they are 100% of the mindset that then Jesus is obligated to answer. And so then that puts me in charge. And that's what I don't like about it, right? But, but what Paul is saying here is it means receiving him means more than simply accept, uh, accepting him. You know, the Colossians received the teaching and the tradition handed down about Jesus. They did not receive him just as Jesus or just as Christ, but in his complete fullness. And that's what I think, you know, if you want to talk about receiving Jesus as Lord, that, that's fine. But the key word in what I just said wasn't receiving. It wasn't Jesus. It was the word Lord. And I think that's where the the... Gnostics were, they didn't want to go that far. And there's a lot of people today that don't want to go that far. So <clears throat> I want to look at that a little bit. They, they received him as Christ, which means the anointed one or the Messiah, you know, full recognition that he is the Messiah, the anointed one. They received him as the one who fulfilled messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. And uh, he was their divine prophet priest and king, and they realize that. And that's more than just saying a prayer to, to accept or to receive Jesus, right? They, they understood these things about him. They received him as Christ. They also received him as Jesus, a historical person rooted in humanity through the incarnation. And uh, the, the name Jesus is actually um, Greek for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation you know they they received him as the uh the head over salvation the captain if you will over salvation and so they rejected salvation by any other name other than that you know that's acts 4 12 um what does that say there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved you know but then also key point they received him as lord Right, And Lord sums it up. All that Paul had previously said about Christ in Colossians, it's a, it's, this word Lord is a dynamic, comprehensive title. And when they received him, the Colossians, that is, they received him in full, 100% complete knowledge of his teaching, and they bowed before him as their sovereign Lord. Right, And, I mean, that's, that's a key word for us to understand. Listen to this that Billy Graham wrote. He's, Billy Graham said, talking about this Lord, no man can be said to be truly converted. Follow that? No man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. 
That's a little more than the little prayer that we want to get people to pray, isn't it? And then Spurgeon, listen to what Spurgeon said. This is just astounding. It is interesting to notice that the apostle preached the lordship of Christ. The word Savior occurs only twice in the Acts of the Apostles, in Acts 5.31 and 13.23. The other hand, on the other hand, it is amazing to notice the title Lord is mentioned, get this, 92 times. Lord Jesus 13 times and the Lord Jesus Christ 6 times, all in the book of Acts. Isn't that astounding? The gospel is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, you know, what's the difference, you know, in somebody believing in Jesus and believing in Jesus as Lord? That That's a big, big difference, you know, and we live in the South, right? So, you know, in the Bible Belt, and I, I know I've shared this with you guys before, but, you know, if we were to go to the outlet mall this afternoon and interview 100 people each, all different, we would get very, very close to 100% of people saying they believe in Jesus. But is he their Lord? That's a whole different ball game, right? And so Paul is trying to drive this point home with the Colossians here so they don't fall prey to the, to the Gnostics. And, and um, th- that would keep them from becoming apostates. So us as well, you know, we're going to be resistant to the influences around us if we walk in the reality that Jesus really is Lord. And the, the reason the, the cults um, really are even around is because they have, they all have defective doctrines of Christ. And so they're, they're very subtle sometimes in what they twist, and they'll come out with some language that might sound really pleasing to the hearers, so people bite. You know, and then before you know it, you're sucked into it. You know, the the biggies are, you know, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Christian scientists. Um, you know, they say that they believe in Christ, right? I mean, have you ever talked to them? They believe in Jesus, right? But I think if you say, but what kind of Christ? You know, especially um, for the uh, the Mormons, right? or Jehovah Witnesses as well. And I, and I think you could um, throw in there Church of Christ. You know, is that a cult? You know, they've got some very, very different ideas about salvation than Jesus being Lord. Um, how about some se- severe forms of legalism? What about the prosperity gospel? Right? Those are Those are people that are using the Bible with other ideas filtered with it that will cause people to stray. And um, that's why Paul was writing to the Colossians, and that's where our guards need to be up for us as well today. So the safeguard against this is a perpetual bowing before Christ as the Lord. You know, in the, with that, our initial awareness that we are Christ and that our sins are forgiven, right? And when you, when you really grasp that, then the Lord idea becomes a whole lot easier to submit to, doesn't it? I, I think it's, I actually, I, 
I thought this way, I lost my thinking in this way, and I'm back to thinking in this way over my course of being a Christian. So I think it's very healthy to reflect back on our initial understanding of Jesus as Lord when we were saved. Go back and remember how excited you were when you were first saved. You know, can you remember that? I talked, a guy called me this week, a guy that most of you have met. He doesn't live around here anymore. And he's, and this guy's been in and out of church, I guess his whole life. He's been in a bunch of rehab programs, including mine. And um, I don't know, he's been out for a couple of years now. And he struggled a little here and there, but we would talk and he would get back in right with the Lord and da-da-da-da-da. And um, he called me this week and his voice sounded different when we were talking and he finally got around to it. He said, well, really the reason I called is because something happened last week. And uh, he said, I got saved. And he said, I mean, I really understand it now. My life is so completely different. He said, you know, Tim, I would have fought you tooth and nail. As a matter of fact, I did fight you tooth and nail when you pressed me of whether or not I was really saved when I was there. But that's how blinded I was. You know, he was talking like that. And he said, I can read the Bible now and it makes sense. He said, I could make it make sense before by studying this or studying that. But no, it really makes sense now. I mean, you remember those days, how excited you were at that point? I remember, I kid you not, within the first week of being saved, I drove over to my sister's house in Marietta. She's a Catholic and... and, um, she was out in the yard fiddling with flowers. I rolled down the window of the car. I didn't even get out. I rolled down the window of the car and I said, Hey, Marianne. She turned around, Hey, what are you doing here? And I said, Did you know Mary's a sinner just like me and you? You know, and I mean, she turned red and she stood up. And, you know, I mean, I was just, I'm telling you, I was just, I couldn't get over it, right? I had an excitement, you know, and I had a friend at, at First Baptist Woodstock when, where I was saved, and this guy was a big old tall man, big, huge guy, not heavy, just a big, big, big man. I mean, he'd about have to bow down coming through that door. And, and uh, his hands, when you go to shake his hand, I got big hands, but this guy, I mean, his hand would come up here on me. And we got saved about the same time, and we would be walking down the halls of the church And I'd see him, and he'd just start shaking his head. And by the time we got to each other, he'd be crying. And uh, I said, Larry, what's going on? I just can't get over it. I just can't get over it. You know, and and I said my thinking kind of changed somewhere through this whole process in a bad way. And and finally, after, I don't know, eight months, a year maybe, I kind of would say to myself, well, man, you need to get over it and move on. But that, how wrong was I in thinking that way, right? Then I started reading these guys called the Puritans. And I had read, I kid you, this is the honest truth. You could ask my wife. I read from age 16 to age 38, I read five books. You know, and now whatever, for whatever reason, the Lord, when he saved me, implanted in me a desire to read. And uh, so, I mean, I, could, I couldn't get enough. And somebody said, well, read one of these Puritan guys. And I said, well, what's a Puritan? You know, and they explained all that. And, and so I started reading these guys. And man, lo and behold, they, they talked about when they got saved. 
all the time, you know, and how they, Jesus was Lord. And, and um, you know, I, I just, I was so submissive to God at that point in my life. This is another funny, honest truth, though. I was reading the Bible, you know, first three months of being saved, and I came across the di- Jewish dietary laws in the Old Testament. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> no more barbecue. What in the world? <laughs> uh, you know, and I remember showing a friend of mine that. I remember the guy. We were standing in the hallway, and I said, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to do about this, but i got to obey him for what he's done for me. And he's laughing, and I said, how long did it take you to get over not eating barbecue? And, you know, and uh, he's like, no, you can eat barbecue. I said, no, it's I'm obeying, and that's what it says, you know. And he's so then, of course, he takes me to Acts, you know, and where God made all things clean and we can so relieved (laughs) Jeff I had some barbecue last night that Jeff Horn cooked it was really good so but remember the the joy of that time in your life what about cussing yeah I didn't cuss anymore I the, the guy that that led me and Kit to the Lord at the same time was a guy that I did drugs and drank alcohol with in high school and 25 years later he's the one that shared the gospel that at that point, the Lord pulled the plugs and the scales fell off and it was wow factor. Anyway, that's the guy that led us to Christ and he discipled us um, every Tuesday night for four months after that. And it was about a four-hour meeting every Tuesday night. And I, I'll never forget, I can picture it in my mind as I'm standing here. We were on my back deck. I was still smoking. And... uh so we're smoking, I'm smoking a cigarette, and he's standing there talking to me. This is the first week. He led us to the Lord on Monday, of, and then that following, not the next day, Tuesday, but a week later, he came over for our first meeting. And he said, well, how's your week, man? I said, man, the weirdest thing has happened to me. And he's like, what's that? And I said, I used the Lord's name in vain six times this week. And, you know, it was six times in 60 seconds prior to that Monday, I'm telling you, it really, really was. I was a foul-mouthed person. I, I was kind of like what Spurgeon said. You know, he lost 80% of his vocabulary when he was saved, and that was me. I was a foul person. And um, he said, what do you mean? You? I said, I, I, I used God's name in vain six times, and every time I did, it was like somebody stabbed me. I had pain in my being. And he starts laughing, you know. I said, what are you laughing at? This is real. And he's like, I think you got the Holy Spirit, you know. And I was like, well, I got something. I don't know what it is. But um, but the joy that we had there, that is so absolutely healthy for us to keep us from being drawn off sides, if you will, to this, to false things that, that come into our life, right? And And that's what Paul's getting there. Walk like that, right? The, the same way you were saved, that's how we're to be walking right now. The, the NIV actually says continue to live. The ESV says so walk in him. You know, that, it's an ongoing progress, but this is the beginning. You know, the, the walk refers to daily conduct, right? Um, in, in, in this context, it means primarily, primarily to continue believing the truth about Christ not allowing what you know about him to waver. You know, if you think, if you start thinking something and, and, and you know it's a waver off of what you were thinking before, stop right there and go to Scripture and 
you know, look at it and compare it to the way that you're starting to think now, if you think you may be wavering. You know, I think in broader terms, he's talking about walking uh, in Christ, meaning that we live in union with him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, right? The life I now live in the faith, uh, the life I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who, uh, you know what it says, right? Uh, gave himself up for me, right? So walking in union with him, it means to maintain a lifestyle that's patterned after his. John says it like this in 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So when we're faced with the dilemmas that confront us in our daily lives, and, and there are dilemmas, right? Our circumstances can bring great dilemmas into our lives, but the guideline should be each and every time, what would Jesus do in this situation, right? If we can stop and think about that. You know, we might think that sounds simplistic. It might sound babyish, but it's a great guide, right? What would he do right now in this situation that I'm, I'm in? So how do we do that? How can we know what Jesus would do in any given situation? And, of course, we live our lives out according, first and foremost, to his word. But then what? What do you think? First and foremost, through the word. You know, if you don't know, you don't do. And you live according to his word. But what's another tool that God has given every human being to help you? What do you think? Prayer. Prayer. Sure, that's good. But then what's the prayer going to do? It's going to influence what? Your, your action, you know, your thinking. But I, I was thinking about our consciences, right? When people ask me, a guy asked me, I'm trying to remember who it was. Uh, not that I would tell you, but I'm trying to remember the situation. The guy was, oh, yeah, I got it now. So this guy's asking me, uh, you know, he's talking about jobs and um and he's like, I just don't know, you know, if, he, if that's the right one for me. It's, it may take me away from my family more than I. My advice is always, you know, well, look at God's word. Is, you know, if it's like serving alcohol at a bar or, you know, something, you know, that's a no-brainer. We're not doing that. But if it's not a clear-cut in Scripture, the job A or job B, then uh, you start thinking, well, maybe this one. Never violate your conscience, okay? As long as your conscience is what? Informed by Scripture, because you may be thinking crazy. (laughs) So that's why God's put other men and women in your life to help you walk through those things. So, And then Paul continues here with us, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Now, uh, the Colossian Christians, they were rooted. They were rooted in Christ, and... um, the Navigators, y'all, everybody's heard of Navigators, right? Great ministry. They have um, their, um, I just lost the name of it. Their discipleship material is based on this verse of Colossians 2.7, of being rooted in Christ and their books, their discipleship books, at least they used to. Everybody always changes their covers every five years, but they had this big, beautiful tree on the front of it with the intricate root system, right? Then showing that, we, we are rooted in Christ and built up in him. And I, I think Paul probably had the imagery of Psalm 1 in mind when he was saying this, picturing the, the Colossians as trees, 
that had sent their roots wide and deep into the soil of Christ um, and then drawing life from him. Look at, let's look at Psalm 1 real quick because that's just such a great picture of, uh, I think, what Paul is building on here. In Psalm 1, it um, says, blessed is the man. And what, what's another word for blessed for us in English? Happy. Think about it. I love reading it that way. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, whose delight? The happy man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. I think that's what Paul has in mind here. And the Lord gave me a, a picture of this years ago, years ago. But we could go right now. Probably it's probably been it's probably been eight years since I've been to this creek. But I'll bet you if we went right now this afternoon, I could say meet me up there, Shoal Creek up off of Highway 108 in Maleska good place to fish but anyway if you get in the water go downstream about 200 yards there's a tree that's laying horizontal across the water and guess what it is flourishing it's got branches that grow up it's got leaves on it every year year after year year after year there it goes now the what happens to most horizontal trees they die, right? Why? Because their root ball's been pulled out of the ground. They aren't getting any nourishment from the soil, so they die, moisture or nourishment. So, well, this tree, the root ball is in kind of right on the water's edge there. So it's still drawing the nutrients. And that is just such a great picture for me that, that if I'm rooted in Christ, if something of the world comes and hits me, a negative circumstance, and knocks me down, I can still flourish even though I'm knocked down, right? I've said it like this before. Christians are like weebles. Y'all remember weebles? What's the phrase? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You could sling it across the room into the wall and boing, it'll come right back up. That's us if we're rooted in Christ, right? Rooted with our roots in deep into the earth. And another... uh, uh, Example of this is when, in the vine metaphor, you know, in John 15, uh, you know, we see that the life of the vine flows into the branches from the vine itself. And, of course, that's Christ. We're the branches. With trees, it's, it's just an absolute general rule that the visible spread of the branches is roughly equal to the invisible spread of the roots. So when you see a nice, beautiful, big tree out there, you know that that root system is the same as that. And and if you think of how we are in Christ, you know, that we're all connected and woven together like that, that the deeper and more widespread our roots in Christ, guess what? The more fruit we're going to produce and the more beauty that we're going to provide for the church. And the next thing Paul gives us here is the, that of, of, of a building. He says, built up in him, rooted. We're walking in him. We're rooted and built up in him. So as believers, our foundation rests on Christ and in Christ, and we're to be about the business of enhancing this relationship. So how do we 
enhance our relationship with Christ. What, how, would, how do you guys do that? I think first, praising him, that's absolutely right. That has to be first. I was going to say it is loving God. And how do we love God? By praising him, worshiping him, right? What else? Loving God and praising him and... Okay, so evangelism and discipleship pertain to us or using us as a means to uh, witness to others. Others, right, that's right. I think if you strip everything away from the Christian life, a true follower of Christ that is walking with him, is rooted with him, and is built up in him is going to be loving and praising God and they're going to be serving others whether that serving is through evangelism, discipleship, or uh, fellowship, breaking bread together. I, you know, we you know, were created to live in community with one another, right? God did not make us isolationists. Like, I mean, Stuart's message last Sunday, right, when he said, you know, he went home one semester from college and told his dad that he wanted to switch his major and go into forestry where he could just be in a tower and look for smoke and be by himself, (laughs) right? Um, Think about that. You know, that's not God's plan, right? And um, every every time I get to thinking, you know, that I'm getting older now, I'm going to retire, I'm going to move out to the... And, and Shane will say, "No, nope, Tim, you, there's nobody for you to minister to up there in those mountains. You got, you got to stay down here with us people, right?" <laughs> so, you know, I mean, God created us for community with one another, and that's why what we looked at last week with Paul showing the some a true believer has a great love for the church. Of course, what are we talking about when we say the church? The people, right? The people. I was talking to our missionary in Peru. Um, I think it was Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday on the phone, and um, they finally got Wi-Fi uh, or uh, Internet that's not dial-up down there. It costs an arm and a leg, but but they've got it so I can call them on that WhatsApp thing. And uh, they've had a lot of rain this year, and more than than they've said that uh, anybody in the canyon, even if they're old, nobody's ever seen this much rain. Well, the church collapsed. So now they're meeting at Brad and Gina's house, and you know, and and so they don't even have a building. You know, a lot of places we would say, "Well, that's not a church," you know, but it is. You know, and they're loving and serving those people. Um, that that's what we're talking about, right? It's not the building, the church; it's the love of people. So the benefit of being rooted in Christ and built up in Him is that that kind of a life that that's centered on Christ like that, will not succumb to the Gnosticizing, if you will, of the false teachers. You know, it's that whole deal. The sirens are calling all the time, right? I mean, it never stops. I I remember um, I I learned a new word. It's been about three years ago, actually. uh, The word, maybe four years. The word, uh, it's when Keith was in the program. You remember Keith? It was the word cacophony, you know, and, and that's just a clamoring all the time, never stops. I mean, just think of the world and what on your jobs and, you know, on TV or just driving in traffic, you know, in your own mind, just say, yeah, 
all the time. I just think of little clams, you know, little cartoon clams swirling around me trying to get me. You know, but, but if we're rooted in Christ and we're walking in him and we're built up in him, those things are not going to have an effect on us. And that then turns into, at the end of verse 7, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. It's, this walk is going to be established in the faith. You know, they, what Paul was telling them is that they were to continue to be established in the faith, which they believed and were taught in the, in the beginning. Don't waver from that, right? Growth doesn't discard the early truths of Christ. You know, just because you're more spiritually mature, that doesn't throw away the, the early truths of Christ. And uh, I liked one author I read said this, Jesus is not a beginning that we leave behind as we mature in the faith. That's good, right? He's not just a beginning and you move past that. Um, R.C. Lucas um, is the rector of St. Helens Church in London in the last century said this, this has something uncomfortably trenchant to say to Christian leaders. Do not many owe their first knowledge of Christ to evangelical truth? Yet how many now say that they have grown out of such simplicities? But to grow beyond the saving truths as we were faithfully taught them is not to grow up in a way that can please God or profit the church. Such fancied superiority in knowledge calls for honest self-examination to see if true loyalty to Christ remains. Isn't that good? So to outgrow the basic truths of Christianity is what we would call to become post-Christian or even pagan, despite the objections, right? And um, on top of that, I mean, this is just, this is one of the most amazing things about Christianity to me. On top of that, the, the vast doctrines of God, the incarnation, uh, the adoption, reconciliation, all of those doctrines would absolutely defy exhaustive exposition. If you studied them for a thousand years, you couldn't get there, right? Isn't that amazing? I often wondered, uh, I remember, I don't know how long ago it was, but you know, uh, John MacArthur's, I don't, is he in his 80s now? late 70s anyway, um, do you know that that man still studies, you know, 10, 12 hours for a one-hour sermon? What in the world? I mean, he's been doing this for 40-something years, 45 years, and he's, what? Doesn't he know it by now? I mean, wouldn't that's how my mind would think, you know, and, but no, he, you can't exhaust it. You can't, you know, that's why, you know, Books are so valuable to us. Just when you think you know it, you know, somebody comes out with a book and you start reading it and it's just so refreshing. It's like it's brand new again, right? Um, So we can't ever exhaust these things. So being simplistic is not bad. You know, it's it's staying true to our calling. Um, So seeing the greatness of these essentials, we need to pray for our hearts to be enlarged right to become bigger so that we can not learn more to be smarter people but so that we can hold more of christ and i think paul's prayer flip with me real quick to ephesians chapter three i think his prayer to the church at ephesus um 
really applies well here. Isn't it amazing how Paul was always praying for these churches? You know, I, I pray that you guys pray that uh, for, for your churches, for your church. Um, so Ephesians 3, 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, parenthetically, why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here's the key. As we love him, we learn more about him. As we learn more about him, we love him more, right? Isn't that the way it's worked in your life? And when you look back at it, you know, you, you, I mean, we all plateau at points in our Christian life, but then God is so gracious in his giving to us that right at that time, he always just throws in a wow factor, doesn't he? I mean, just a, whoa, that was good, you know, whether it's through the word or through preaching or through reading um, another believer's uh, new works. And, um, I mean, it doesn't even have to be new works, old works as well, right? So, you know, and we're not, we're not arguing for some sort of um, cliche-ridden Christianity, but we're, we're arguing for a profound head and heart study of God in his word um, with our eye on the essentials which is the back to the beginning, right? So a walk like this can't do anything except overflow us into thankfulness. And that's how he comes again in verse 7 here. The last of the four things he tells us here is that we would be abounding. You know, that's the only one uh, that we would be abounding in thankfulness. Um, the bottom line is believers who are firmly rooted in Christ, being built up in him and established in their faith, will, will, not might, will overflow with gratitude to God. Because a grateful heart for all God has given us in Christ will strengthen us in the truth of God, right? Um, one commentator said it like this. Praise completes the circle in which the blessings that flow to us from God return to him in the form of our praise and adoration. So, in other words, a healthy Christian walk spills over with gratitude and praise. And uh, the Gnostics, you know, they could not penetrate thankful people. And it's the same for us today. Um, Here's another old author, last century, died in the early 1900s, Alexander McLaren. Listen to what he wrote regarding this thankfulness in life. The life which is all influenced by thanksgiving will be pure, strong, happy in its continual counting of its gifts and in its thought of the giver and not least, and not least happy and beautiful in its glad surrender of itself to him who has given himself for it and to it. The noblest offering that we can bring the only recompense 
which Christ asks is that our hearts and our lives should say, We thank thee, O Lord. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And the continual thanksgiving will ensure continuous growth in our Christian character and constant increase in the strength of our depth, in the depth, depth of our faith. So we're to be living lives of thankfulness. And that's just really the, the overflow of all that. You know, you can't get there until you've got you're rooted or walking with him, rooted with him, built up in him. So, um, listen to this. Uh, as I said, there's a, you know, there's voices all around us, and and they many times are going to sound very logical. Um, deception looks authentic, right? It does. It looks authentic. It would never go if it didn't. Uh, it's supported by intelligence, credentials, popularity. But we know that because the devil knows what he's doing. Um, screw tape said to Wormwood in the screw tape letters. Um, highly encourage you all to read that. There's just so many great things in there. Um, but, you know, screw tape is the devil and Wormwood's a demon. And uh, screw tape instructs him and he says, old error in new dress is error nonetheless. Isn't that good? <laughs> you know, just because it's got a new dress on. I mean, have you ever wondered why new, th- they, it kind of comes packaged a little differently the next time, but it looks good, you know? I mean, think about just sin in general, not false teachings, but just sin in general. Can you think of, I'm still waiting for somebody to tell me yes, and I, I'm good with it if you can, but can you think of any sin that at least initially does not feel good? I can't, right? Why is that? Because we would never bite it if it didn't, right? Um, if it didn't promise something and if it didn't deliver something. So again, um, I got a kind of a, well, I'll, I'll pick that up next week right there. We'll finish that because I started to get into verse 8 and I just couldn't because that's one of my favorite verses. So um, we will leave with that and we do need to put the chairs up again. And does anybody have any final comments? Or? Oh, all right. Well, we'll be dismissed.